Welcome to Frontline Church, South Oklahoma City's podcast page, where each week we will upload a new sermon uh, from our current sermon series that we're in. If you have uh, any questions, concerns, um, or have a prayer request or need, you can email us at hello at frontlinechurch.com or visit our website, south.frontlinechurch.com. Thanks. Guys, good evening. How are we doing? How are, how are the tacos? Excellent. Uh, hey, it's so fun to be with you guys. I, I love Frontline South so much, and this whole week has been a real gift to me. We're spending the entire week down here with the leadership community at Frontline South, and it's so fun to hear the stories of God's grace and transformation. I'm really looking forward to being with you guys Sunday. Uh, but for me, this is the highlight of the week. And, and it's a weird thing because early on when Frontline Church first got started, me and Nancy's kids were really little. We planted with babies. And I was terrified at early Frontline. I was terrified of talking about parenting because I knew I didn't know what I was doing. And now, now that my kids are adults and we're about to be empty nesters, I still find myself in a dilemma with conversations like this because on the back end, I'm more aware of the places that I've fallen short as a parent. And I do believe that there was a brief two-year window when they were in middle school where I thought I was crushing it and was prepared to write books. Um, But the reality is that parenting is really hard. So I want to get a grid for who's in the room. Uh, If you're here and you don't yet have kids, but you're just investing, you're getting ready, you're training. This is like Rocky Three. you're about to fight Ivan. You know it's gonna be really difficult and you're here to prepare. If that's you, will you raise your hand? Okay. We have a couple, that's amazing. Awesome, congrats. That's a really wise and awesome investment in the future of your kids. Um, how many people, I know we have tons of babies at Frontline South. You guys per capita have the cutest babies in any of our congregations. You guys make little chunky cherub-like babies and I love to look at them, they're so sweet. How many of you guys are parenting infants? Raise your hands. Okay, that's exhausting. We're going to pray for you guys. How many of you guys had toddlers? Yes. How many of you guys have experienced that everybody was lying to you when they told you that the most naughty age was two, and then you had a three-year-old and realized that they were lying? Three-year-olds are incredibly naughty. They do all the bad things that two-year-olds do, but they can now tell you eloquently all the things that they think that you're doing that are stupid. Um, How many folks are parenting elementary age kids? Awesome, man. That's hard to navigate. And then do we have parents of middle schoolers? Oh, that, dude, those are tough years. And then how many parents of high schoolers? Yeah. Awesome. We're going to pray special prayers for you guys. And then lastly, do we have any parents of adult kids? Awesome. Yeah. Um, It kind of crushed my dreams. I expected resources after 18 in our guide. And uh, I guess parenting gets really easy from 19 to 25. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take a second and, uh, and focus us on a little bit different a conversation around parenting. Um, all the practical stuff that you guys want to talk about, we're going to get to that. We've got literally my favorite mom in the whole world that's going to be on the panel. And we have a mom that's in my top five favorite moms in the whole world that's on the panel. And I love the intentionality that the Collies demonstrate for all of us in the way that they parent their kids. So we're going to get to tons of practical stuff, and then we're going to save a lot of time for ministry time. I expect that some of today's teaching is going to surface areas where we need the grace of God to bring healing. We need the grace of God to be able to figure out what does it look like to honor our moms and dads by actually having some legacies that end with us. 
and begin new legacies of parenting for the future. Um, But what we're going to do today that's a little bit different, and it could be a train wreck, what I want to do is instead of talking about technique around parenting, I want to look at something that I think is often ignored or assumed when we think about parenting. And it's the idea that our parental relationship with our kids, the way we parent our kids, love our kids, disciple our kids, and invest in our kids, is profoundly shaped by three fundamental relationships that God designed to actually give you gifts that you could hand to your kids. Three fundamental relationships in which God wants to form you and shape you for the blessing and benefit of your kids. And as I've gotten older, as my kids have aged, I'm starting to pray prayers that I've never prayed before. I I wish I started praying these prayers when they were little. Nancy and I certainly prayed for our kids' spouses when they were babies. But now I find myself praying for the legacy of great-grandkids that love Jesus. And so what I want to talk about are these three fundamental relationships that God wants to use to give you gifts that you can re-gift to your kids. And the three relationships are our relationship with our Heavenly Father, which is the most fundamental, your relationship with your spouse and how that shapes the environment of your parenting, and then your relationship with your church, your relationship with your church. So follow along. We're going to jump around to a lot of different scriptures. Uh, Feel free to write these down if you want, or we can get notes to you in the next week or so. Let's talk about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The fatherhood of God is what empowers, directs, and shapes all biblical parenting. There is no such thing as family without the triune God. There is no such thing as family without Father God. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That's a profound statement. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What we see is that the fountainhood for all, the the fountain for all family is actually found in Father God and in his work to send his son to actually shed his love abroad in our hearts. And there's two gifts in particular. We could talk about this for the next 17 weeks and not exhaust the riches of how our relationship with our father shapes our parenting. But let me give you two things that we should never assume. The first thing that we receive from Father God is covenantal love. Covenantal love. The Bible describes this in the Old Testament as hesed. That's often translated steadfast love. It brings to mind the unwavering, unchanging promise-making, and promise-keeping love of God. And in the New Testament, we find explicitly that God in Jesus chose his people and literally foreloved his people before the foundation of the earth, that God set his covenant love on his people and in the fullness of time sent Jesus to accomplish our redemption. This means that we get to be caught up into the love of God that doesn't move away from us. He is the rock that the waves of rebellion and sin crash against without breaking. He's the anchor that doesn't snap in the midst of the storm. And the gifts that this gives us for our kids are profound. 
If you've done any work around early childhood development, you know that secure attachment's the most fundamental thing that babies need. Babies need secure attachment. But secure attachment is not something that kids outgrow. Our kids need to experience an environment in which the love that we have for our kids is reflective of the unchanging covenantal love of our Father that actually loves us, not because we perform really well, but simply because of who He is. Wesley Hill wrote a book on friendship, but there's a passage in there that I think shines light on the way that God loves us. He says this, the Catholic writer and activist Maggie Gallagher describes two kinds of relationships. To the first, she gives the name, you're mine because I love you. On the other hand, Gallagher talks about a different sort of relationship. To this one, she gives a tagline that's the inverse of the first, I love you because you're mine. God didn't look ahead and see that we were going to perform well and be really lovable people, and that's why he chose us in Christ. God in himself set his love on us, and it's his love that actually transforms our lives. It's his love that brings us onto the bedrock foundation of a life that doesn't have to be ruled by sin and death and anxiety. And what our babies need is that secure attachment from moms and dads, but it's also what our teenagers need when they start wilding out, when our teenagers start pubing out and the natural biological drive to individuate hits and they don't know how to be normal in their own skin and they're flailing and freaking out to one degree or another, what they need is to actually be shaped in a home environment of the unchanging covenantal love of Father God in which we don't move away from them in the midst of their thrashing. It's what our young adult kids need. When they start getting launched out into the world and they're trying to figure out how to make their own path and build their careers and start their own families, what they need to know is that they can actually find a place of respite and grace with mom and dad, not based on performance, but based on the very nature of the Father's love that's been shed abroad in our hearts. Because of the promise-keeping covenantal love of God, we don't have to let anxiety control our parenting. And I want to say that one more time. If there's any place where I sin against God the most frequently with my anxiety, it's in the life of my kids. I'll show you a couple pictures of my kids and my family. Um, it started for us. You can go back to the, uh, to the beginning of it all with our kids our wedding. Do you guys have that wedding pic? Uh, yeah, that is proof that there was a day that I briefly had hair. Um, my hair fell out six months into getting married. I'm not saying that has anything to do with marriage, but it just happened. And, and this covenantal union, this union of love and covenant led to my two babies. And my kids, Elijah and Olivia, couldn't be more different, and I couldn't be more proud of both of them. Uh, Elijah is 19 years old. He is a reconnaissance Marine. He graduated from one of the hardest special forces training schools in the entire military. He's at jump school right now. He loves Jesus. Uh, he's a man of character. He's trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in the Marine Corps, which is not easy. And I love the heck out of this kid. Our daughter, Olivia, is brilliant. 
She is brilliant. She is a thinker. Um, I remember she used to hide books under her pillow. She used to ask me deep theological and philosophical questions. Olivia is about to graduate with a bachelor's. She's studying English and art, and she's thinking about a career in art, es- art restoration. And these two kids, these two kids are so amazing, and they're so different. Olivia is trying to figure out what she believes about Jesus, which leads me into places of profound fear. My son's trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in a place that couldn't be darker. But the covenantal love of God means that God has moved towards me in my brokenness, and I can have confidence that he's going to do that for these two kids, and I can be a place where instead of being anxious and reflecting back on them, my demands and my fear, what I so want to be is a place where they experience the presence and love of God that I need to abide in if they're going to taste of it. All right, it's the covenantal love of God that shapes our parenting first and foremost. And the covenantal love of God leads to the forming love of God. God's love is unshakable, and his love is a love that leads us to the ends for which he created us. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that's addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. Now listen to verse six. This is so important. For the Lord disciplines, he disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all participated, then you're an illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The covenantal love of God meets us in our brokenness and sin, and the covenantal love of God is committed to forming and shaping us to such a degree that what we see on every page of Scripture is that God cares infinitely more about us being conformed to the image of Jesus than he cares about our comfort. Our Father disciplines us in patience and with consistency and with purpose and with love. And all of that discipline for the moment seems really painful. If you've been walking with Jesus for anything longer than two weeks, you can testify to the truth that the living God takes us to hard places where we'd rather not go to train us, that he uses our failures to shape us, that he allows us to face adversity. And though God is sovereign over all things, and though he's actively involved in our lives and present through the Holy Spirit, he's not the kind of helicopter parent that's interested in coddling. In fact, what we find is that God is willing to use at times, severe discipline to capture the hearts of his children. But at the very same time, his discipline is never driven by revenge. 
It's never fueled by wrath because there is no wrath for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's pure love motivation that leads our Father to us in discipline. And his discipline, so different than my discipline as a young man trying to figure out how to parent kids, is never driven by being annoyed with his kids. It's not driven by him demanding peace of mind or a quiet house or entitlement. All of our Father's forming love directs us towards his hand in our lives that's at work to shape us and mold us for our good and his glory, not just in the short term, but literally for all eternity. God's covenantal love is so committed to your formation that he can pledge to us the guarantee that he's going to finish the things that he started in our lives. Can I get an amen from somebody? That's amazingly good news. So, how does our Father's forming love give us gifts for our, kid, for our children? And I'll just mention two things quickly. What we see is if we're actually aware of what's driving our Father's discipline and the reasons that he uses difficult circumstances to shape us, what we'll find is that our discipline, never perfectly, but in greater measures, will start to reflect the same kind of love in both corrective and formative discipline. Our kids need corrective discipline and they need formative discipline. Let me give you a quick survey from the book of Proverbs. If you want some handles for practically leading your kids, get into the wisdom literature. Proverbs was written by the wise men of Israel to those that would be nobles in the court of the land so that they would be shaped by eternal wisdom to not bring reproach on themselves and on Israel. And what's amazing about the redeeming work of Jesus is that Jesus has restored the work that God's called us to do of taking dominion over the spheres that God's given us to lead. Therefore, we need to be shaped by wisdom to actually lead in the court of King Jesus. And that doesn't start, that doesn't start when we hit our 20s and go to college. That starts in the home when we're little. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Some of you guys need that to be your new life verse. <laughs> right? Put that up on your refrigerator. It'll bless your kids. <laughs> Proverbs twenty two fifteen says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. We're going to talk about Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly this Sunday, the native language of our heart is the language of Lady Folly. But listen to this. The rod of discipline drives it far from him. And Proverbs 13, 13 and 14, or 23, 13 and 14 says, Do not withhold discipline from your child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from the grave. Now, the point of these verses is not for us to have a debate tonight on the method of corrective discipline, or we can have a conversation about spanking or timeout or grounding. Uh, we can certainly have that conversation in Q&A, but what's behind all of these verses on corrective discipline is that it's an absolute necessity if we love our kids. <laughs> it's a demand in Scripture fueled by love that should reflect our Father's heart who forms us with corrective discipline because he loves us. It's to be fueled by love. It's to be consistent. It's to be age appropriate. And the problem is that many parents only do corrective discipline and they neglect what's 
the tone and tenor of the rest of your life when your kids aren't doing really naughty things, which is formative discipline. Formative and corrective discipline go hand in glove in a home that's serious about love shaping and forming our kids. And the point of parenting, the point of parenting is raising an adult. Can I get an amen? It's raising an adult. It's preparing our kids for leaving and cleaving. And much of Proverbs is about the formative kinds of instruction that children need so desperately, and it covers all of life. It covers all of life. The foundational message of Proverbs in formation is that we need to teach our kids the fear and knowledge of the Lord. The fear and knowledge of the Lord. Now, we can't make our kids love Jesus, but we can stack kindling, as one pastor put it, around their hearts, and we can pray like crazy that God would ignite that kindling. And that kindling starts as we point to God as ultimate reality and capital T, truth, and capital B, beauty. Teaching our kids the fear and adoration of the Lord is teaching them that there's actually a grain to the cosmos that God created that reflects his righteousness and his goodness. Proverbs talks about formative instruction around sex and marriage. You can read about that in Proverbs 5. It talks about work and food and alcohol and friends and time and the tongue and study and the list goes on and on and on. The point is, Corrective discipline is an essential component of a loving home, but formative discipline is the absolute culture of a loving home. We are called to disciple our kids. Parenting is discipleship. And this means that our kids need both quality and quantity from us. They need quality and quantity. They need those beautiful moments where you've thought through as a mom and dad, those transitions in life, and you've been intentional, and you've thought of moments that disrupt the regular pattern of ordinary time in the home. And they also need just those daily moments where we eat together and talk and ask how they're doing, even if they don't answer us. (laughs) They need humility and honesty from mom and dad. One of the greatest things we can model in formation is simply repenting of our sin and saying we're sorry. They need us to learn to not do for them what they can and should do for themselves. And they need us to stop trying to keep them from all pain. Brothers and sisters, we live in a moment where parenting has shifted its telos around the formation of virtue so that a kid can grow up and walk out its calling to the telos of temporary, circumstantial happiness. And the problem with that is that if you aim for happiness instead of aiming for virtue and wisdom and joy in the Lord that's not connected to circumstances, if you aim for happiness, you'll likely get a person in their 20s who thinks that the world should revolve around them with very few survival skills and with a very shallow well of grit and determination. We are called to do our best to insulate our kids from pain and difficulty and tragedy, but not to isolate them from the reality that the world is hard. And part of our job as moms and dads is to lead our kids in such a way where they actually develop the kind of musculature that can navigate a world of disappointment 
and accountability and expectations and work. Now, I just want to pause here for a second. Nothing could be more transformative for the way that you and me parent in this moment than to actually make our parent our parenting rooted and grounded and abiding in the love of God. Knowing his love for us, knowing his commitment to form us and shape us. And we're gonna do questions at the end tonight and we're gonna pray for each other like crazy, but I just wanna pause for just a second and ask you the question, if you really believe not just intellectually as if the love of God was just an abstract doctrine, but if you really knew in the depths of your being the spirit of adoption crying out of your heart, Abba, Father, if you really believed down to the very tips of your toes tonight that God's covenantal love in Jesus pursued you and chose you and that he's not going anywhere and that every ounce of his discipline in your life is because he's a father that's committed to forming you for an eternal way of glory, how would that affect tomorrow evening at bedtime for your kids? How would that affect the next hard conversation you have to have with your teenager? What would that mean we'd be empowered to do when we're tempted towards moving away from our kids because we don't know what to say and we feel anxious for their decisions? How would the love of God equip us and fuel us and empower us to move towards our kids even even knowing that we're going to get some stuff wrong? Your relationship with your father is the foundational place where we are given gifts to give our babies. Now, the second relationship that's foundational is your relationship with your spouse. Our most fundamental gift to our children is given to us from our father to give to them. But the second most uh, fundamental gift is our relationship with their spouse. And much of a child's formation is caught rather than taught as they see the mystery of marriage unfold in their parents' relationship. Let me remind you of something you've heard us talk about before. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 33. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We have a unique opportunity in Christian marriages for our kids to see the gospel of Jesus Christ embodied and to get a glimpse and a picture of redeemed manhood and redeemed womanhood as mom and dad embody following Jesus in the totality of their life. And what I would argue is that nothing shapes a boy more deeply than seeing a father's strength directed towards the gentle, sacrificial, and loving leadership of his home. Nothing sets him up for a life of knowing what God's put inside of him than seeing a dad who loves his wife with all of his heart and is willing to pursue her. It helps answer deep questions about who he is as a man and what God's placed inside of him. And seeing his mom encouraged be a helpmate to be a life giver, to be a strong gift as she respects her husband helps answer questions about what a virtuous woman is and what kind of man he needs to be to actually find one. And for girls, like I love my son with all my heart, but I've never experienced an expanding 
explosion of my heart's capacity to love and hurt like the day I met my daughter. Like, that was just different for me. Like, I adore her. I adore her. And what I so want for my daughter and for your daughters is that they would know that their treasure's worth fighting for as they watch dads live in an understanding way with their mom. That they would get a vision of womanhood as they see mom and body what it looks like to push back against the half-truths and the lies of the world. And that the dynamics that the dynamics of the gospel between a husband and a wife would actually give color and pictures to the things that you're teaching your kids and the things that we're teaching your kids when we gather together on the Lord's Day. I want so badly to make sure that my kids know that I chose their mom long before they showed up and I'll choose their mom long after they leave. And I'll pause here to just make a quick note to single parents. God's grace is so high and so deep that where the ideal's lacking, his grace can abound. And as we talk about the third fundamental relationship for our parenting, which is our relationship with the church, what we find is that it's not just mom and dad that are on their own, isolated, trying to figure out how to raise kids. God actually brings families into the family of the local church. This leads to the third relationship, our relationship with the church. And I I just want to contrast two ideas really quickly. Um, these, there's two primary ideas of family that are sort of the driving factors that are shaping the way we think of parenting. And the first comes from the far political left, and it's been shaped by Marxist thought, and it often sees family as a threat to the state. It seeks to undercut parental authority. It seeks to elevate the state. It seeks to get parents out of as many facets of their kids' lives and leadership as possible. And then on the other far extreme, on the far right, we have a political ideology that often sees family as an autonomous unit that's its own sort of isolated kingdom that doesn't need anybody else. And what I want you to see today is that a Christian vision for parenting is God giving mom and dad gifts through the local church that we're then called to turn around and give to our kids. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. It says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. And listen to this. You're members of the household of God. The family is a unique sphere of authority and discipleship, but the family is called to be connected into the family of God. And that connection within the family of God is we learn to do community and life together, building spiritual friendships, having spiritual uncles and aunts in the lives of our kids. What we find is that Christian community helps the formation of the family and places biblical checks and balances on the husband and the parent's authority. It's a, it's, it's a spiritual family in which we get to learn and grow, and it's a spiritual family where our kids need to actually see men running with dad and women running with mom, and as they get older, this is not a conversation for a three-year-old, but as they get older, I want my son to know and my daughter to know that I'm in the kind of community that has told me no before. where I've been pursued by brothers and I'm under their authority that I'm not just asking my wife to trust me and follow my leadership. 
I'm a part of a Christian community where I'm also surrendering to authority and trusting leadership. And what starts to happen, what starts to happen in Christian community is that the church doesn't replace parents, but the church comes alongside parents to help equip and train and serve and bless and encourage and do work around prayer for the future of your kids. And I'll say this has been, this has been in the last 10 years in the life of our church, the thing I'm most excited about at Frontline is that God has done a work in our church that started so young. I mean, we had just like 20-year-olds and artists and weirdos, and that was the whole church. And in the last 10 years as we've gotten older, we have hundreds of kids that are a part of our community. And one of the deepest passions of our church is to come alongside mom and dad as the primary discipleship makers of your kids, but to help you know that to do that as the primary discipleship makers in your family, you actually need Christian community where people have your back, where we're praying together and we're fighting together for the health of your kids, and where you actually have spiritual uncles and aunts that your kids know in your orbit of community. There, one, of the things, uh, one of the things I wanted so badly for my kids is I, I wanted them to actually see church planners as, as heroes. That was like a goal of mine. And um, in the early days of planning Frontline, God just started blessing me with deep relationships with friends. My, my friend Kevin Colley, like he's such a blessing. We've been running together for almost 10 years now. And even before I started running with Kevin, God brought guys like Donnie Griggs into my life and um, Steve Huber and all kinds of really deep friendship. And over the course of the last 12 years in my life, when our kids were little, because of our commitment to doing life with these families, our kids have seen me and these men cry and pray for each other. Like they've seen, they've seen their mom and these ladies actually share a depth of communion with each other. And because these guys have seen my kids grow, there have been unbelievably powerful things that they've given my son and given my daughter in times of crisis and transition that have been amazing. You badly need to have some people that are not related to your kids that are telling your kids the same things you're telling them. <laughs> Will Gaines was our kid's first youth director, and I remember all the time, they'd come home from youth, and they'd be so excited, and they'd start to tell me something that they learned at youth, and I, I would think initially, like, yeah, I've been telling you that every day for like since you were a fetus, we've been having that conversation. And now all of a sudden, Will, cool Will comes in and tells you, and it just clicks. But that's a blessing. We need to have the kind of community where your kids receive support and care and grace from the family of God. Now, I want to end with this. If those are foundational, let's talk then about your relationship with your kids. And there's a thousand things we could talk about, and I hope you guys are ready to jump into Q&A. But I just want to highlight a couple of things that really matter. The 127th Psalm says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. What I want you to see is that there's a huge difference between being our kid's creator and their parents. Parents' role in conception and mom's role in gestation and birth is mysterious and awe-inspiring and wonderful and tells us miraculous and invisible things. From the union of a mom and dad, another image bearer of God being brought into existence is crazy. 
But even though our kids share some of our DNA and traits, it's so important for us to remember that we did not create them. That God is the one that knit them together in their mother's womb. That their days are numbered by him. And that our calling is to be stewards of the gifts of our kids that we might launch them into their calling and not try to be their gods. They may resemble us, but they image the living God. Our job isn't to control our kids, pretending that they belong to us. This is especially important as your kids get older. Your job is not to control your kids as if they belong to you. Our job is not to be emotionally dependent on our kids, asking them to do things for us that only Jesus can do. God didn't give you your kids to fulfill you. He gave you his son to do that. Our job is to steward our kids and to actually work with the grain of how God's formed and shaped them in the womb so that they might walk out the calling that he has for them that probably is something that you've not even thought of. (laughs) What's so amazing to me is that God is the one that arranged the unique talents and capacities and limitations and weaknesses in your kid. And to work with the grain means that a wise parent is constantly praying and seeking to discern ways to draw out and shape and to develop and grow and discern the gold that God has put in the soil. It's to actually come alongside what God's already doing. In fact, what God was doing in the moment of conception in the life of your kid. Parents have this joyful task of actually excavating the soil and getting to know this immortal image bearer and then to come alongside them and be a champion of the things that God has actually put in their lives to do. And that certainly includes discipline and correction and training towards the virtue needed to walk on the path that God's placed before them. But it's also, it's also realizing that our kids are not coming out of a cookie-cutter mold. It's to actually be responsive to the unique things that God's put in our babies. It's crazy to me how different my two kids are. <laughs> so different. My, my son's a smart guy, but he hated school. Hated it with a passion. Hated it with a passion. During COVID, I got to homeschool him for about seven months. And all of a sudden, he started loving school because we added like, archery practice and reading amazing books about dudes shipwrecking and getting stuck in the Antarctic. And all of a sudden, like, he, he was, like, super engaged. And then all of a sudden, school kicked back up, and he got an open door to go to uh, Francis Tuttle for welding and work with his hands. Like, my daughter has no interest in doing that. She loves books, and she loves art. But this kid came alive actually working with his hands, learn things about Jesus working with his hands. My daughter, my daughter wants to figure out how to get a master's and keep doing school because she's so good at it. She loves it. She loves study. She loves reading. She loves her classes. And it's so easy. It's so easy for us to project on our kids what we want them to be and place demands on our kids that aren't biblical demands instead of making sure that we're actually trying to discern, hey, God, what are you doing in this person? (laughs) How have you shaped them and how have you formed them and how do I actually become a champion of what God's called them to do? Neither me nor Nancy wanted our son to have a career where he's jumping out of airplanes and getting shot at. 
as not like was not on our list of dream occupations for our baby boy. But like it's been so clear over the last five years that him stepping into this job was a part of him walking out the unique essence that God had called him to. So for us to discourage that or try to redirect that or try to control that or manipulate that would actually be to be working against the grain of what God's actually doing in his life. Now, there's foolishness that needs to be corrected. That's not working against the grain of God. That's working with the grain of God. But our job as a mom and dad is not to own our kids or take from our kids. It's to launch our kids, to launch our kids. So in closing, in closing, let me give you three shifts that I think we need in our culture. Three shifts. Shift number one, we need to enjoy the love of Father God so that we can stop asking our kids to be our God. Shift number two, we need to learn to enjoy our spouse so that our kids can have a home shaped like the gospel. And I'm under no illusion that that's an easy task or a simple road for anybody in this room. Thirdly, we need to fear God enough to stop chasing happiness for our kids and start disciplining and instructing them in true wisdom. That's the path towards joy. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to bring up the Collies and Nancy and hear what you guys want to talk about. Will you guys bow your heads with me for just a moment? Father, it's amazing, it's glorious, it's beautiful, it's almost beyond our comprehension that you're simultaneously at work to father us and to use us to help father and mother our kids. And I pray today that um, if there's one unified takeaway in this room, that we would actually lead from a place of abiding in, enjoying, and knowing your covenantal love and your forming love. And the places where you're disappointing us because you love us, would you help us to stop running from you and resisting you and being angry at you? And would you teach us when you're actually taking us to the woodshed because you care about us to say, yes, Father, and Father, I pray that um, in our parenting relationships with littles where the physical exhaustion is such a big factor, I just pray that you would sustain these moms and dads. I pray for those parenting teenagers where the emotional exhaustion is so real. I pray that you would sustain moms and dads. And I pray for the marriages in this room that they would deepen and grow, that you would lead us to more repentance and more fruit as husbands and wives so that kids could get a glimpse of the gospel and get a glimpse of the unique vocation of manhood and womanhood. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Collies, you guys come up here. Um, Kevin Colley is... Kevin Colley is the pastor for church planting and strengthening and for leadership development at Frontline. Um, one of my dearest friends, 
He is uh, on our apostolic team, helping provide directional leadership for our whole church. And he's a guy that I trust with all my heart. Uh, Katie Colley is an amazing mom. She spent years before they had littles uh, being a nurse. And I just think she's one of the most intentional, amazing parents that I've ever been around. And uh, Nancy's my favorite person on planet Earth. And uh, just a humble, courageous, fierce mom. And I'm so proud of I'm so proud of getting to have a, a first row seat to seeing her sending her son to do a job that makes her feel afraid on the daily and her blessing him as he does that. So she's a really courageous, amazing woman. So we want to hear from you guys. I'm going to kick it over to Andrew to lead us. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much, Josh. That's so helpful. Um, man, lots of good questions coming in. Some are, are uh, pretty similar, so I'm, I'm going to combine some of those. The first one, though, is, uh, is Will Gaines once lied and swore on the life of his kids. Does, does this make him a good dad? So maybe we can, <laughs> maybe we can do, do some ministry for Will later. Um, no, here, here's does this some... make him a good dad? That's horrible. <laughs> We've got the handheld mic right there for you guys, too, to, to pass around. Um, here, here's a here's one that came in, and there's a few like this. How would you demonstrate covenantal love to a child who is morally rebelling against the faith and their parents' beliefs? Yeah. You guys want to go for it? It's an easy one. Super easy. We'll start on an easy note. I I would. <clears throat> I'm gonna cheat, but I'm I'm gonna. I'm going to answer um, before that. And actually, like, I realize that question isn't just hypothetical. Um, it's like I'm, uh, I just feel weight as a parent to hear that. But the, the way, I, I think one of the best ways you demonstrate covenantal love to children who are in, like, abject rebellion, which, like, in some ways, I'm, I'm talking, we, we have a, our oldest is almost 16. Our youngest is 10. Um, but you start with this framework that we embedded in our kids from before they had language. And it's every night I put my kids to bed, I ask them two questions. Is there anything you could do that would make me love you more? And they answer, no, Dad, you just love me. Is there anything you could ever do to make me love you less? No, no, Dad, you just love me. Um, and I think if you can actually, like, inculcate that into your children's heart, and then you have to do the hard work in trusting God to walk that out and actually put your money where your mouth is. But, um, and I, I you, you grieve. And, and to be a parent is to bear the stain and to bear pain. And you, you entrust your kids to a father who judges justly, and you do that when they're in the womb and you're worried about miscarriage and what will the next trimester mean, and you do that when they're five, and you do that when you're teaching them to drive a car, and you do that um, when, they're, when they're 20 and they tell you that they don't believe any of the things they told you they believed earlier. I mean, I, y'all, y'all have older kids. I don't, and Katie's smarter than me. I, that was the first thing that came to my mind. I'd go Curry's. I'm just going to give you the microphone. Do you have anything you want to add? You guys, you can, she can share your face mic. <laughs> He'd love it. 
Um, it's so hard because you can't discipline your kid's heart into loving good and loving Jesus. I mean, you can't spank them until they love the Lord. You know, it'd be, and that's so hard because <clears throat> we do, we want like hard black and white guarantees and we just don't have that sometimes. And I think we can discipline outright disobedience. And if they, you've told them, here's the rule and they don't do the rule, you can discipline that stuff. But um, if it's rebellion against, you know, household rules, that's one thing. But if it's, you can tell that their heart is hardened and they, they don't want to obey because there's something wrong inside their little chest, you can discipline, but you can't make them want good. That's where the hard part comes in where we pray and you are consistent and loving and consistent and loving and consistent and loving and hope that the Lord can alter some of those things as they see that, oh, my parent loves me even when I do horrible things. They're disappointed, but they didn't go anywhere. So you're in a lot of ways, we're imaging Father God like, oh, I'm loved even though I made this big mistake and mom and dad aren't going anywhere. It's like, gosh, that's a good picture for somebody else who loves them even more than we do. So good. There's a a lot of questions that sound similar to this question. What if my spouse, who is a Christian, and I disagree on how best to discipline our kids? What should we do? That's a great question. I already talked a lot. I, I didn't even get any tacos yet, for the record. It's, it's interesting because my wife gets asked this question a lot. Um, so Katie has been really faithful to love, walk with, disciple, invest in younger moms who are navigating that. So I'm going to give you a second to think. You know, I always have an opinion they're rarely correct, but I can share your thoughts with you immediately. Katie, Katie is wise, and you just got to let things emerge from the pool. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a second. <laughs> Andrew, you want to, you have thoughts? I'll read her the question again. Yeah, yeah so if you, you have two Christian parents, they disagree on how best to discipline their kids. What do they do? What's like, what's like step one and two? The first thing that comes to my mind is that dads are the head of the home. Um, That's what comes to my mind first in terms of submission to that now. I think that if there are questions of where the father's leading and it doesn't align with scripture and what God says the head of the home needs to look like, I would probably ask for help from the church to get clarity on how to do that as a couple. Yeah. That's a great answer. I, I remember being 11 or 12. And my, my parents, in God's kindness, loved Jesus. And I don't know what they were arguing about. But I remember my mom modeling that to my dad and saying, hey, this isn't over sin I disagree with you radically here. This is like at the dinner table. And I don't know what they're talking about. She's like, this is not over at sin. I, I disagree with you radically, but I will submit to you, and you'll give an account to God for that. 
And Katie gets to drop that bomb all the time. I would say steps one and two are get unified. Yeah. And get unified. Because the, like what's going to violate a culture of grace in your home is if you're not unified, because you need to be unified, because especially when you have younger kids, this is imperative. Write this down. Nothing else I say will matter tonight. You have to win every single day. You have to win. Like, and I mean, you, you have to lovingly model for your kids that you're in charge. Um, you have to win because someone's going to win every day um, and you got you to win. Um, and if you're divided, you can't win. And if you're divided, you're going to undermine one another and your kids are going to smell that immediately and it's not going to model what you want it to model. So open the scriptures. We can help you with that if you got like biblical questions. Um, but get unified. Like above all else, get unified and let your kids like there are places where you can let your kids know that you've labored under God's authority because like you're not just a tyrant in the home. You're telling them all the time, hey, you're under my authority and I will give an account to God for the way I lead you. I am under authority as well. And if you guys navigate that with them, I think that could bless them even when they're young. Yes. But please get unified. Please get unified. And, and use this as like a test case to figure out how you guys do team you two. Meaning like, figure out how do you guys talk things out? What's a healthy way to disagree? How do, you, how do you debate and dialogue? How do you ask each other good questions? How do you move towards one another? And, uh, you know, it's, it's really important that the brothers in the room remember that we're never told to make our wives submit. We're told to love our wives, and we're told to lead. And it's really important to remember that, like, good leadership in the home doesn't die on the hill of we're doing it this way very often. There might be some times, I think of 25 years of marriage, there's a few times where I felt really clearly, this is the direction we need to go, and she didn't agree, and she then looked at me and said, I trust you, I'll follow you. Which, by the way, instantly produces holy fear in the heart of a man. Like, to get it right, to pray, to listen. Um, But that's only happened in our marriage a handful of times. Usually, if we disagree, we're going to keep talking. We're going to keep asking each other questions. And if we can't get to agreement, we're going to tap in other people. We're going to tap in the the third relationship, which is the church. We're going to talk to friends. We're going to talk to pastors. But use this as a moment to figure out how do you guys move towards each other in the midst of disagreement? And how do you grow in wisdom instead of enmity between a husband and a wife? Oh, that's great advice. Uh, this one says, I'm a, I'm a tired mom of littles. Most days surviving feels like the biggest win. How do I have a healthy relationship with Jesus myself while also having needy and little kids? And there's, there's a few like that. So maybe, maybe you ladies can, can help us out on this one. Okay. Um, like the thing that pops into my head is you cannot do it without God. So you have to find a way to be in his word. Like you just have to. And if you're struggling to get that, like you need to talk to your spouse and have him help you navigate and find ways to be with God. You have to. He is your life source. So, I mean, I've had friends who are like, I, I don't have time but you're like, hey, you, ha- you, you need him. And, and I think for me, over the years, that has just looked, in di- looked different ways. Um, 
I remember somebody saying that they just keep a Bible open in their house. So, like, they're walking past it. They're feeding on God's word. It's open there. It's accessible. It's anywhere. Like, that is a way. Um, for for, For me... I need it to be quiet. Like I, I need to meet. If it's if I'm going to meet with God, it needs to be quiet. And I have learned recent or in the last five years that I do best listening to God's word being read over me, rather than sitting down and reading it because my mind gets so distracted. So like, there are places where you can have God's word just read over you. It's like a gift flowing over you. And that could be when your kids are awake. That could be when you're, they're still asleep. Like, that could be, and if that's not the way you work, like, you have to be in God's word. But I think the other thing about that is not like a checklist of, read my Bible, check it off, I feel better about myself. It's reading something and then listening to what it awakened in you and then asking God, why did that do that to me? And listening to what he has to say to you in his word. Um, Because he has really good things to say to you. And if you're in his word, he will meet you through crazy things that you wouldn't think maybe relate to parenting. But he is so amazing that he will meet you and he will strengthen you and you will be fortified if you are in his word. So good. Um, I remember those times of having little bitty kids and that just being chaos. And um, when we planted Frontline, I had a one and a three-year-old. And then we had all these young people come into the church who wanted to be at our house. And it was just a lot. Um, And so I got one of those. And this is a long time ago. But I got one of those um, big CD packs of the Bible, like (laughs) Zondervan. And I would just like, because I couldn't sit down. And, you know, and, and I think that a lot of times... We come from churches where that there's this heavy burden put on your back that you have to have, you know, light your candle and sit at your desk and do this quiet time. And it's just not realistic when you've got little bitty kids. And if you have multiple small kids, like you're, you know, you're constantly getting snacks and juice and keeping people from dying and getting, you know, whatever, falling and all the things, just trying to get to the grocery store is like exhausting. Um, but I loved what Kitty was talking about, like just, just, now there's so many resources. You can just turn the Bible on audio and just have it on all day long. Um, another really helpful thing, I think, practically is to, and I'm kind of old school this way, but um, when I was home all day and Josh was gone all day working, I wanted home to be a peaceful place. I wanted him to come in the door and it not be somewhere he didn't want to walk into with the total chaos. So that was important to me. But at the same time, once it's like, okay, give dad a second to set his stuff down and then say hi to dad, whatever, there was a little bit of time where I, I just have always struggled with anxiety. And we had a deal where he would sit down and play with them for a minute so that I could take a couple laps around the neighborhood and just mentally get away from little kids just for a minute. And that 10-minute walk was like gold. Just to reset mentally when you've been with them all day, that's a really super simple thing. Dads are going to sit down there anyway and be like, I'm home. And just to just to peace out for that time. And just, and that's only because it's, I know people say it's so short. It's so stinking short. It's not going to last in a few years. It'll be gone. And you'll be like, Oh, they were so, but you forget in the grind of it. I know it's hard, but there's some really practical stuff like that that can totally change your whole mental state for the rest of the night. So the the other thing I, I just think is so cool and so powerful 
if you can get free from expectations that are not from your Heavenly Father, like the weird way that you're grading how you're doing quiet time and communion with the Lord, if you can get free from that and, and actually realize that in different seasons of life, it is going to look different. I, I think Brother Lawrence should be the patron saint of moms of little kids. He wrote this little bitty book. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. And he worked in a monastery. He was a cook and he did the dishes. And so he had all these guys to feed and he was constantly busy, constantly had his you know, hands in like dirty pots and gross sinks. And he just learned that like, he didn't just, it, it's good to have set times where you're like, I'm gonna sit down and read my Bible. But he realized that the presence of the living God was with him all day long. And he could enjoy talking to God and listening to God in the midst of doing things that actually glorify God. Like for you guys, changing diapers. To know the pleasure of God and the presence of God that you don't have to have this separate sphere of your life that now it's sacred and now it's holy. Like Jesus wants to talk with you and be with you while you're nursing, while you're putting babies to bed. He's with you. And, and the spirit of God lives inside of you. So I do think husbands, we got to figure out how to get our wives backs so they can get breaks. And, and you got to figure out how to do the things that are essential, being in God's word and talking to the Lord. But but also, don't make it, don't make it this weird, rigid, religious thing that will steal you out of some of the joy of actually knowing the living God's with you throughout the course of your day, and he actually enjoys being with you and talking with you. And during those simple tasks of keeping your babies alive and doing their education and walking with them, those can be really rich moments of communion with God. Yeah, and I would just add... And I, I realize this is a hard thing because I'm, I'm going to state two things the same way and, and say there's a tension between them. Hey, moms especially, what you do is exhausting. It's exhausting. Like, it is exhausting. And, like, dads, when we, when we you know, get the kids for a weekend or something and, you know, within six hours I'm completely disheveled and the house is on fire and I think, like, how does, how does Katie do this? It's, it's because it's, like, God's given you amazing gifts and what you're doing is exhausting. So I want to, I want to like, own that. But I also think we need to just tear down this demonic lie that being a mom is this exhausting, meaningless thing. And it's so tiring because you could be giving yourselves to all these other things that really mattered. But what you're doing is eternal and beautiful and infused with all kinds of significance and it's part of like part of the thing that makes it more or less exhausting is if you if you set up this thing that is um in the way of what you want to do then it will it will eat your lunch but if you just receive this as a calling and a season and this is what god's you know this is what god's called me to do in this time you need help you need friends you don't need to like seek isolation when you get scared or whatever else, but to not believe a lie that it's, it's meaningless. Like what you're doing is uh, investing in a human soul that lasts forever. Yeah. And uh, man, it, it matters. So thanks for doing it. And uh, if, if you could just like hear your father's voice speaking over you of how significant what you're doing is, um, I just wonder if those places would be a breath of life for you instead of, man, like how, how can I make it until four o'clock and drink wine or something, which I just think, 
I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but I do think there's some kind of satanic lie hidden in that to make moms just sort of hate their calling or hate this season, which is hard enough on its own without that lie being whispered in your ear. Um, Another thing that just popped into my mind is that um, what you are feasting on will affect the way you see your kids, the way you see your home. And um, I just would challenge everybody to just take account of what it is that you listen to and what it is that you're spending time on your phone with and what you actually give your time to. And, and like, if, if that is to something, a picture of social media of what, a, you know, we put, there's pictures of a, an impossible lie in those. And if, but if you're feasting on that, that is going to affect the way that you see the world and the way that you, you hear. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, that's, that's really wise. That's really right. Um, what, what about some formative and corrective ways of discipline that you guys have found over the years that have been successful, helpful? Uh, and then as you look back on what you did as parents, what you're doing as parents, what are like one or two things that you would say, man, that, that was just a real win. This is something that we should give to every parent. And then the, the one or two things that you're like, I, I regret that or I missed it there. So it's formative, corrective, discipline. You can take that direction. Any, <laughs> you can take that, that question any way you want. Um, I think that, especially when they're young, um, we had this mantra, obedience is all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. Um, and if it is not all three of those, it is disobedience. And I think that, like, early on, somebody told me that if you actually want to instruct your kids, you only give them instructions on things that you are prepared to enforce. I never thought about that. But like there are times when I remember I'm not gonna give this instruction because I'm running late already. And if they don't obey, I'm not gonna properly be able to discipline them. And so it's not important to me right now to give an instruction instead I'm just gonna do it or whatever it is. It's not that it's not as important as it would be to to make sure that I'm prepared to enforce whatever instruction I'm gonna give. Um, and then another like really practical thing is I think that little kids are going to, they're learning your voice. They're learning, learning what it means to obey. And so we did this thing called training time. So like I would just spend time training them to hear my voice and obey. And it wasn't when they were disobeying. It was in like, just like, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to spend 20 minutes and I'm going to get cereal and I'm going to sit, I remember sitting at the base of our stairs. Sorry. Oh my gosh, I wasn't speaking. <laughs> um, okay, so I sat at, the base of, sat at the base of the stairs and I would shout out an instruction, go do five jumping jacks. Yay, you obeyed. Thank you for obeying. And they would come back and I'd give them some whatever Cheerios. Dry, dried cherries. Yes, dried cherries. It was like, it was the most silly things. But every time they were listening to my voice and they were hearing my affirmation and they were getting used to that. That is what is normal here. This is what you do. You hear my voice? Oh, 
and you're going to obey, and I'm going to be thrilled because you can't obey. <laughs> and But we're training this. I, I did training with a, with a um, remote because I don't want my kids touching my room. I mean, I would, or keys or glasses, things that matter to you, they don't have to touch. Like, you're in charge. <laughs> but do that training at home when other people aren't around and you're not trying, you're not trying to pick out the groceries when you're hungry yourself. You know, like, do it at home when you've given yourself time to train them. Put it in front of them. We spanked. I don't know what you want to do. I would put it in front of them to train them to obey, but I wouldn't just do that. I would do it along with all kinds of other fun things that they were also getting to obey. So it was like a game. I mean, and the other kids loved it. Yeah, anyway, I can talk to you about that later if you want. Find people that you like their kids. It's not hard. Find people that you enjoy their kids that are older than you. And this is how discipleship should work in a lot of ways. Katie and I got married later, and then we struggled with infertility issues and, and had kids later. So we were with people that had kids older than us, and I, or, you know, when we didn't have kids at all. And we would just say, I, I remember with Pete and Cheryl, there was a couple I grabbed, and I said, hey, we really love your kids. We love to be around your kids. Can we hang out with you guys and watch what you do with your kids? And they welcomed us into their home. They welcomed us into the mess of their home, the discipline of their home. And I remember being introduced to the concept of training when Cheryl gets her four-year-old and she's like, we're going to the grocery store. I was like, what are you going to the grocery store for? And she said, I'm going to train this girl at the grocery store. And I was like, she's exhausted. And Cheryl said, prime time to take her to the grocery store. She said, I don't need to buy a single thing. I'm going to take this child to the grocery store and make her learn to compose herself when she's losing her mind. And I remember thinking like, Oh, like parenting takes real work. You can't do this, you know, just on, on your phone or from the couch. And so it was that kind of stuff for us of training of, I'm going to put glasses on my face and give you an opportunity to take them off, not as some sort of entrapment situation. But I don't, I think it's, I don't like kids grabbing glasses off people's face. And when you're the parent that your kid's grabbing their glasses, someone else's glasses, you're always apologizing. Oh, I'm sorry, your kid's breaking glasses. I just thought, well, I can train my kids not to grab glasses off people's face. So we did, we did stuff like that all the time, man. The Collies did lots of training. And, um, and, and then you're going to get in the spot with this. Raise your kids and invest in your kids in such a way that you like your kids. Because I realize you love them, but it's kind of important to like them. And because and, uh, they're not cute enough to sustain their own life, you need to <laughs> like them. Um, and so I wanted to raise kids that I like. And Pete and Cheryl, I'm passing the mic. Pete and Cheryl were the ones that said, too, raise your kids to speak to adults. Because I just remember being blown away that their kids came up and greeted me. Hello, Mr. Kevin. They were like these delightfully little nerdy kids. And I said, that's amazing. They, they, they answer my questions or whatever else. Because so often we as parents say, you know, Quinn, look Mr. Josh and I and greet him. And he runs away. And Josh goes, oh, he's just shy. It's okay. And I'm like, no, it's not okay. Because I just gave him an instruction and I want him to follow it. And I want my kids to talk to adults because I want them to be adults. Um, so that's, and that's all Pete and Cheryl Williamson, man. They, they were God's gift to us before we even, as we were begging God for kids, wondering if we'd ever have them. I remember saying like, if we ever have kids, let's do what Pete and Cheryl do with them. And um, it's good.
so I can give a fail. My kids told my mother that they acted bad at Walmart on purpose so that I would leave. And I did. I would just be like, I, I give up. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do training at Walmart. <clears throat> Hindsight. <laughs> Uh, hey, it's such a it's such a good question. I'll, I'll go really briefly. Um, one thing I'm really thankful for, I'm thankful that with both corrective discipline and formative discipline, that there was a culture in our home of affirming our love for our kids directly, verbally, and also physically. Like, I'm really thankful in moments of discipline that we, we both were really committed to naming things about our kids that we delight in. And naming our love for our kids and naming our affirmation and commitment to our kids. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm thankful on the formative side that we both had agreement that our kids, that we were going to do hard things together as a family and we were going to give our kids opportunities to do hard things. Um, this woman was not, <laughs> she was not opposed to our kids going offshore with me in kayaks and learning about nature and doing things that had a, a little bit of danger to it. Uh, I think it was a Jordan Peterson quote that I saw a couple of weeks ago that resonated with how we wanted to parent. Uh, <clears throat> let your kids do dangerous things in safe ways. And I, I'm thankful for that because I think that actually trains them and prepares them for a world that's dangerous. And I think probably my, my biggest regret, I think where I personally got it wrong the most, um, I definitely... I definitely corrected my daughter, um, pursued my daughter, but I think it was way easier for me to understand how to lead my son into hard things and into the kind of gender-appropriate hard things that he needed for his development than I did for my daughter. And I'm thankful, like, she just turned 22 a couple of weeks ago, and I'm just seeing such an increase in her maturity. But if I had it to do over, I would have thought of more gender-specific powerful ways to try to help her build resilience and to not, I mean, daddies with daughters, man, it's so easy to fall into the trap of enabling and treating your daughter like a princess, and we should love and delight in them, but treating them like a princess in such a way that they actually get away with things they shouldn't get away with. And I think if I had it to do over, I would do more work around how to set up my girl to be a, to be a, a, a strong champion, to be a warrior for Jesus. So I did a better job with that for my son than I did my daughter. And he was second. Yeah, and he was second. <laughs> your, your experimental kid always needs some extra grace. And, and I didn't mention this in my talk, but I'll mention it now. Hey, one of the things I want to say so that you guys can just breathe tonight is that in the places where you, by God's grace, get it right as a mom, as a dad. That points to the perfection of your heavenly father. But the other side of the coin is also true. The places where we fall short and fail as a mom and dad actually points to their need for a perfect heavenly father. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean that we then punt and just give up on trying to get better. But every single, every single kid that's represented in this room, every single kid, they're all going to be given gifts from mom and dad, and they're also going to be handed scars from mom and dad. And uh, those are places where God's going to work in both of those things to show him that you're not the perfect dad. He's the perfect dad. Yeah, that's so good. I, there, there are too many questions that came in 
for us to get to tonight, but I just want to say, I think some of the questions, there's a lot of questions about like, hey, how old should I have my kids be before I hand them cell phones? There's questions about how do we navigate different ideological views around LGBTQ stuff in a world like ours? How do we, how do we train our kids into that? How do we, how do we uh, process when divorce has happened and I'm a single mom or a single dad, I'm trying to, you know, do the right thing. How do we do that? And I just want to say a lot of these questions I think are, are, you will find some resources in the packet that you have in front of you and also that you're going to have in your inbox tonight. And then just remember, like, we are here to do anything we can as a church to come alongside of you, to pray with you, to pray for, for your kids with you, to do anything else that we can do. So uh, know that th- this doesn't have to be the end of it, and we can set our kids' team loose on trying to track down some better answers to the questions we didn't get to. So, hey, we've spent some time hearing from you on some questions, but Kevin is going to take uh, just a, a quick, brief min- minute and try to offer some questions for you guys to start considering as we head into a time of ministry here in just a minute and send you guys out of here. Yeah, these, these are not going to be questions that you can answer quickly. Um, which, by the way, every question you've asked tonight isn't something that's answered quickly. Yeah. And it's something that's um, it's like playing Battleship. You're going to you know, move and recorrect and whatever because you're not going to be a perfect parent. There's a, a man and a woman that's been a huge influence on me and Katie's life, and he always says, hey, you're not going to be a perfect parent. You just need to be good enough. Um, which is a really refreshing word of grace. Uh, you just need to be good enough. God's perfect, and everything you do will show your kids um, that you're not, wh- whether you think you are or not. So you just need to be good enough um, and, and not even try to solve things quickly. But I just wanted to put some questions in your hearts. And Will's got, I think, a QR code that will give you all of them because I'm going to read three of them to you um, that I want you to take home and process. But I, I wrote out eight or nine of them that I just, you know, this is the kind of thing you can pray with, with your spouse, with people in your community group. Here's question number one. Josh talked about the three kinds of relationships, or the three specific relationships tonight. I just wonder where you've gotten confused in each of the relationships that Josh talked about tonight. Where are you looking to your spouse to be for you what only God can be for you? How's that affecting your, your family system and your parenting? Where are you looking to your child to be for you? What God has designed your spouse to be for you. There are times, moms, when you look to sons to be for you what your husband is called to be for you, and his passivity um, is, is creating a gap. I just I wonder where, where that could be an issue that you guys could explore. Um, and it's not just moms and sons. It's moms and daughters and son, you know, dads and daughters and dads and sons. Where are you trying to be for your child that which only God can be for them? That's why you don't need to be perfect. I had a friend years ago that looked his kids in the eyes and he said, hey, there will come a day if it hasn't come already when you will sit with a counselor or a roommate or your spouse and you will talk about all the ways which I've failed you. And he said, and when that day comes, you will not dishonor me when you share that because I'm not a perfect man. I need grace. I need a savior. So don't, don't try to be for your kids what only God can be for them. That's a three-part question. Here's question two. When you consider the present exhaustion you're experiencing as a parent, because parenting is exhausting, where could you derive strength? Where could you be strengthened from your relationship with your Heavenly Father? Where could you be strengthened from your relationship with your spouse? Where can you ask your spouse legitimately for strength 
in right and good and Christ-exalting ways? And then where are there places where you could ask for strength or gain strength in your relationship with your church? Last question. And I, mean, I have a friend that asks me this question all the time, and I'm always thankful for it. He prefaces any question he asks me with, if you had the courage, if you had the courage, because there's places you see, you know what you need to do. If you had the courage, what's one thing you would do to personally change your relationship with your spouse that would affect your kids? What's one, it's not about them because it's so easy to diagnose their problems. What's one thing if you had the courage to do, you could do? It's about you. You could navigate in your relationship with your spouse, in your formative discipline of your children, and your corrective discipline of your children. One thing you could do if you had the courage to do it. And then there's, there's others. And if you want to talk about these with Andrew or with any of the pastors here or with me, I'm always down to talk, as you can tell.